0: Hi guys, and welcome back to Omegapreneur, and if you're new here, welcome. My name is Jacqueline, and this podcast is all about taking you from transition to transcending, from feeling stuck to success. Today's episode is a special one for me, entitled, Where I'm From is Where I'm Rooted, My Immigration Story. I decided to make this episode in a small way to give a voice to what's happening in this country. As many of you know, thousands of children are not separated from their parents, when I first thought about recording this story, I thought, I'll do a quick recording and that, that'll be it. I didn't realize how much pain recounting my story would bring up. I broke down several times and realized that I never really dealt with everything that was happening. I, like many that cross the border, see this as part of life. When the dust settles, though, you realize how difficult and painful the journey can be. My hope is that by sharing this story, it'll give you an inside look at what goes on in the minds and hearts and lives of immigrant children that cross the border. My story in the U.S. begins when I was four years old. My family's story started when my father took two days to get here. He started here as a cook, then a gardener, and finally a construction worker. My story, or journey rather, started with my depression at three or four years old. (laughs) Yes, I was what can only be described as depressed. My grandmother called my father and told him that he needed to send for me. She's not eating, she lost weight, and she sleeps all the time, my grandmother said. When she finally asked me why I slept all the time, I told her, it's because I see my daddy in my dreams. Quite the daddy's girl, huh? My grandmother said that if he didn't send for me, that she was afraid I was gonna die. So, my parents sent for me. At their border, there was some sort of argument between my mom and dad. This was told to me by my best friend's mother, who was there. We can't cross with her and risk all all three of us getting deported. We have to leave her behind, my mother told my father, to which my father replied, Either we all cross or none of us cross. Only now as a parent, I can't imagine how painful and scary that must have been for my parents to come to this decision to either leave their child behind or risk all three of them getting deported. Somehow they managed to get me across. When I got here, life in the U.S. didn't get any easier. I didn't know the language, but I'm grateful for that because I proved to be a very savvy little girl. I became very keen with my surroundings. I quickly learned what recess meant, that we could go outside and play, and that put your chair up meant that it was time to go home. I listened for the repetitions in my teacher's lessons. I copied the actions of those around me. I made friends quickly because with kids, all you want to do is play, and that doesn't require any type of language because playing is universal. I didn't know then that learning English wouldn't be a milestone, but only a way to understand what a wetback is and that I wouldn't be allowed many of the rights that people who were born here have, such as the right to work, child labor laws, Mole's laws really didn't apply to me it didn't matter how smart or how hard i worked i was paid less than minimum wage at 13 i was paid three dollars an hour to work at the swap meet where i stood for 12 hour days i was grateful for this though because i was making my own money during the summer it also taught me that i could find cash paying jobs where there's a will There's a way. When I was about eight years old, my great-grandmother became very ill and we all went to Mexico to visit her. On our way back, my sister and I were actually held at the border. The border patrol agent told my father that our paperwork was no longer valid and that me and my sister would be denied access to the US. The immigration agent, however, took pity on my dad and he informed him that he would need to fix our papers or risk his daughter's getting deported. That was the beginning of our journey with endless paperwork, expensive filing fees. This proved to be really difficult for my parents who were either too ignorant of the laws or too financially strained to continue the process. The pursuit for our green cards came to a halt. At 15, I took matters into my own hands and I legally divorced my parents. I came from what used to be a very violent and alcoholic home, and so I divorced my parents and, the process, and I alone processed my paperwork. I had to tell the U.S. government that I was responsible enough to take care of myself. I was granted permission to continue the process of getting my green card, all thanks to Catholic charities and counselors who both wrote letters on my behalf. And because of that, the filing fees were waived. At 19 years old, I became eligible for a work permit. And I finally felt like I could breathe. I had been given the right to work in the US. For such a long time, I felt that I was suffocated. I was fearful. I felt like I was being pushed down, held back. I was talked down to, degraded, from people far less intelligent and less capable than I was just because I didn't have a piece of plastic or the right to work in this country. At 20 years old, almost a full year later, I was eligible to get my green card. However, I no longer had the assistance of Catholic charities or counselors to help me fill out the paperwork, the paperwork that most people have lawyers and specialists fill out because they are so complicated and convoluted that if you make one mistake, literally one mistake, you can get pushed to the back of the line if not taken out completely. It's a very scary and anxious time to say the least. I get my appointment, I go to downtown San Francisco to the federal building. Endless lines, countless rooms, and gray halls that feel more like the saddest hospital you have ever been to. I fill out the paperwork as best I can. I recheck it, I doubt myself a million times. I'm scared, I'm nervous. I've literally waited my whole life for this moment, and now I have a daughter who's only three months old at the time. I go into the meeting and it's a woman, a Latina, and she proceeds to ask me what felt like hundreds of questions at the time. Now I don't remember any of them except for one. She must have seen me with my daughter in the hall because she's quiet for a minute. She looks down at the paperwork, paperwork that tells her my whole history. She looks at me and she asks, how do I know you won't end up on welfare like the rest of them? Her question cuts me so deep that I don't I think I answer her. I'm just quiet. All I can think was you know nothing about me except a number next to my name and a file that you flip through. I wanted to literally jump over the desk and just start punching her in the face while I told her to go fuck herself. It first took everything in me, not to literally do that. And the sad thing was that that's what she wanted. She wanted to provoke me. So because at that moment I believed I wasn't going to get it, I decided to tell her how I really felt. All the BS, all the hurt, all the pain... I thought, I have nothing to lose. So I said to her, you and I both know you deport me and I'll be back. I've been here since I was four years old. I don't know Mexico. I will come back and I will continue to come back. So you can either give me my papers and get my taxes or I can come back and do it illegally. Your choice. I got up and I left. And I remember when I got outside, I was devastated. I looked at my daughter and I thought that I had failed her. I didn't know how I was going to support her. From Mexico, would she have to stay here with her dad? All these things ran in my mind and I didn't know what to think. And then, The man from the window calls us over. I'm thinking he needs, you know, whatever paperwork we had or he's gonna let us know that I'm getting deported. I don't know. So we walk over to the window and he hands me, stamps a piece of paperwork and hands me paperwork. And he tells me, you should have your green card in about three to six weeks. You know, these things happen, the abuse, the neglect, the trauma. It's like we just grow this layer of protection that just seems to crust over. And we keep moving, and all we can think is survive, survive. We bury these things so deep that we don't allow ourselves to think about them or acknowledge them. It's too dangerous to be vulnerable. And when we do manage to have time, it's too painful to face. It's like somehow we matter less because we're not from here. Like somehow when we get or cross the border, our stock as human beings plummet. People here love our food, our culture, Cinco de Mayo. Even our spiritual practices are on sale now. People talk about how great it is to visit these Latin American countries, how Mexico City is the destination now, and yet they take our children and they put them in these large cages that can only be described as human kennels. In large part, most of these detainees are from Central America. Their trek is even further and far more dangerous, only to be sent back, and this time, without their children. It's cruel. I keep getting asked if I can believe what's happening. My answer? Yes. And no, I don't watch it. I refuse to be re-traumatized or even desensitized to watch people who call themselves journalists but look more like TMZ looking for the best photos. So this is my way to give a voice to those who may feel like they don't have one. This is to give their emotions a way out when maybe it's too dangerous to do so. If you wanna help, stop watching the news Take action, if even with your money. And for God's sake, stop asking people where they're from. But no, where are you really from? As to say, I know you don't belong here. Where I'm from is where I'm rooted. It's where my community is, where my family and friends are. It's where I birth and raise my daughter without the help of the government. Many people think that I must hate it here. I may not always agree with the way things are being run, but who really fully agrees with the way any sitting president runs things, past or present? I love this country. Why else would I have fought so hard to stay here? I love this country, not only for the opportunities it's provided me, my parents, my brothers, and now my daughter, but I love it here because of the people that live here those fighting to make sure things are made right, the communities they build, the progress they are constantly making, the way they speak against injustice, the marches, the shows and the movies that are being created to promote diversity and equality, the change that is happening everywhere. It may not always be at the pace that we like it, but in other countries, you get killed for disagreeing with the government. Your opposition, your free thinking can cost you your life. So no, I may not like what's going on, but I'm grateful I can make this podcast to tell my story. I'm grateful I can contribute to the many nonprofits that are working tirelessly to change things. I'm grateful for Catholic charities that spoke on my behalf at 15, and the counselors who devoted their lives to kids like myself whose future was vastly changed because of them. I refuse to allow myself to get clouded by ignorance that's happening and instead root myself in the community trying to make a change. Instead, I'm going to work with my pain, my anger, my frustration in the most positive way that I can. And you know why? Because to some, that's exactly the opposite of what's being expected of me. Thank you so much for listening.